You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 344, the challenges of being outraged all day, every day. This week we ask John Humphreys, is he all that? And the joys or otherwise of company away days. Oh, it's all coming up after Dex's Midnight Runners and Dance Dance. Oh, haven't heard that in years. Tremendous blend of Northern Soul, Punk and Kevin Rowland eccentricity. Uh, number 40 on the UK singles chart in 1980, the very first single from Dex's Midnight Runners, that was Dance Dance. 
And there are days where I could just listen to those horns at the beginning going, da 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 just constantly. It's so good. It's What a brilliant uh, first five seconds yeah. for any single. Um, uh, 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 beaten only by Gino, of course. Mm, again, with those little, <laughs> a string of the, the funny thing I noticed when I was looking up mm. um, their sort of single performances is it, it was um, one thing or the other. They, they had ma- their singles, there was only about 10 of them, but they were either like top five smashes like Come yeah, On Eileen Jr. Yeah. or didn't chart at all in between. It was strange. Uh, they didn't seem to ever invoke a sort of loyal following it was like the top 40 singles buyers either liked it or didn't and but mm. you know, they stood and fell by that no welcome to the podcast from the parish council it's episode 344 i'm terence stackham and um now bearing in mind it was valentine's day yesterday so of course it, it was yeah, yes okay. apparently people told me this apparently it was. Here, here we go roses are red violets are blue Niles Crane's first wife was Maris, but she's not my podcast oh. Valentine. <laughs> Instead, welcome Juliet Harris. Oh, about that moment when I fell in. Oh man, that stomach churning moment. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. A lot of work went into that, as you can tell. Yes, I, 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 yeah, quite. <laughs> Jules, we live in exhausting times. I, that, that is very much true. I get very much on board with you with that, brother. Yeah, I, I find it terribly draining to be expected to be outraged all the time uh, before the age of the internet if someone mm. if someone made a minor error of judgment in their lives perhaps at a small argument in a store or shouted at someone in a street uh, the mm. couple of people involved would be annoyed perhaps mildly inconvenienced and then get on with their lives now if such an incident happens today and there's a cell phone camera to record it oh dear yes your life is changed forever this week Several news outlets, including, of course, the Mail Online, published a video where a woman on an airplane in America had a, a bit of a flounce about having to sit near another woman with a crying baby. Uh, the, the complaining lady, she did swear a little and was a bit, mm. a, bit, a bit of a prima donna. But all we get to see is a 20-second clip. We don't know the backstory. Uh, in this clip, a stewardess overreacts and has the complaining lady removed from the plane. And the lady that momentarily lost her temper, by the way, she did apologise all within this 20-second clip, is treated in the story as a most contemptible person, someone to be vilified. Uh, now, inevitably, the reader comments are the usual piling of over-the-top mm. crazed ravings, including one person, bearing in mind this woman just moaned a bit, including one person person who said that the complaining lady should have been thrown off the plane mid-flight. Um, I, I, I'm finding it... <laughs> That's very rational and reasonable, isn't it? Oh, I'm finding it terribly hard to be outraged 24 hours a day, Jules. Absolutely. I do have sympathy with you. And actually, my main mm. point about why storms in teacups being storms mm. in the World's Cup are bad is that I and I wonder, I, 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 there's sort of two, two, flip, two sides to this. The first sort of angle I'm looking at this from is the idea that it then removes our capacity for outrage, I think, for things that genuinely mm. are outrageous. So if we have to be, if we have to feel the same level of anger for everything all the time. It then in a way diminishes that anger because then you move on to the next thing quickly which means when utterly dreadful things happen, like these uh, revelations to do with Oxfam Mm. and these, these terrible things, stories that we've been reading about, terrible behaviour by some people, not, not all people by any means, 
a minority, but unfortunately minority near the top of these organisations, behaving in contemptible, disrespectful, appalling ways towards people in, in disaster zones and, and, and very vulnerable people in, in difficult areas. Uh, when, when we are being angry about 20-second rails on planes, in a way, it kind of dulls everything, doesn't it, really? And I worry that it then removes our capacity for anger in situations which genuinely should, I think, make us furious and which we genuinely should be making a public outcry about. But then having said that, maybe the reason why we are having to get, well, we're, we're having to find an outlet for our anger in small things is that nobody ever resigns over big stuff anymore. In the olden days, I mean, put it this way, look at the current government, Boris Johnson would not be in his job. Um, actually, although she's perhaps seen by many people as the lesser of many evils, Amber Rudd, as Home Secretary, was involved in an incident a little while ago when someone was deported back to a, to a I can't remember what it was now, but well, some difficult country, uh, to face almost certain torture or death, despite the fact that there was a court order from one of the highest courts saying they were not to be deported. I mean, that is a resigning offence, I'm afraid. And yet, there she is obviously because she has to be there for various reasons uh, chris grading fails at everything and doesn't resign no one resigns for mm. anything anymore and maybe we've ended up having to get ridiculously angry about fairly minor things because there is nowhere there's nothing else to be angry about because people that should be resigning about things aren't because no one seems to take responsibility anymore actually it was refreshing that this lady that was a deputy head or deputy ceo of oxfam who had been it sort of had happened on her watch. Mm. She gave, the, I think, the only genuine apology I have heard for anything in recent months, possibly even years, when she said, you know, this happened on my watch. I am mortified. I am very, very sorry. I have got to take responsibility for this. I am resigning. I would make the point that isn't it funny how it's women that tend to do that and men that mm. don't. And... I mean, of course, there is no, you know, the, 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 the chief executive officer who also had some knowledge of the situation, he hasn't, and I've, I've put emphasis on the word he, hasn't felt the need to resign. Um, I, I find it, I find it, actually what gets me really angry is not silly things on planes, but the fact that no one takes responsibility for anything in public life anymore. And maybe we are frustrated and having to take our anger out in places that are ridiculous because the usual things that I would get angry about, I, you know, nothing happens, does it? There's never, you know, Boris Johnson, just everything just bounces off him, doesn't it? And that makes me furious. And, and yeah, I, I like you, I find it tiresome being outraged all the time because I want to save my outrage for things that really deserve it, like Oxfam and like, prats in government making a complete mess of everything and not not having any responsibility in resigning well yes the, the, i i really do agree because the, the sort of minor outrage stories off um de then deflect away as you say from yes, the main stories i do stories. wonder if and sometimes papers like the daily mail who have a vested interest in some of the political mm. things that are going on at the moment i wonder if they're be without being a bit tin uh, wake up sheep or tin foil hat would you like a copy of the socialist worker about it equally I do wonder if sometimes these things are used as a distraction and we fall for it. Um, and I think the, the minor stories sometimes move into the unwelcome ter territory of fake news. And I was thinking, yes, I was thinking this week, um, it, it all reminded me of a couple of months back. We had a short video of a young 11 year old boy from Tennessee, Keaton Jones, and it went viral. This was, it, it, he, he tearfully claimed he was being 
bullied and the video went round the world. Everyone felt incredibly sorry for him. Celebrities offered him all oh, yes, sorts I of treats. I remember this. Kindness fell upon him. And the next day, the whole train of viral joy went into reverse because it was alleged that his family were like Confederate waving white oh, supremacists. Yes. And um, it, it became clear that maybe it was because he'd said awful things to some of his classmates. Yes. That was why he was being ostracised. So in 24 hours, this young Keaton Jones fellow and his family went from yes. heroes to villains. And I think that endorses your point, really, in that becoming outraged at simply everything in life, we've none left to escalate at the true madness in the world. And the big issues that perhaps do need our outrage are diluted to the same level as a silly 11-year-old and a woman who behaves gracelessly on an airplane. And perhaps, you know, we we need to draw from the the well of outrage more more selectively. Yes, although having said that, thank goodness there is not social media everywhere and Mm. and, and mobile cameras ever, because my mum had an incident in a cinema recently where, unfortunately, there was a lady that was sat next to her and her dad who very loudly ate a snack for an hour (laughs) when they were watching The Post, which is Mm. quite dialogue heavy and at the end as they were on the way out my mum shouted at this woman I mean I know my mum doesn't come out of this in a great light I know but I am sort of on her side because I suspect I would have felt not just because she is my mum but because I would have felt similarly and she said to this woman next time I would suggest taking a packet of marshmallows instead (laughs) and uh, and my mum and dad walked out with a couple they knew who they saw at the cinema at the same time and I'm afraid to report that the man of this couple pulled his hat down over his eyes so that he did not need to be associated with my mum shouting at a woman about marshmallows. Two other passers-by laughed, I'm told. So um, I don't wish to endorse bullying behaviour, but uh, equally, thank goodness, there were no mobile phones in that cinema, eh? <laughs> yes, I'm sure your mother could have gone viral on the mail online. <laughs> it's only a matter of time before she does, I feel. They, they, it could have gone round the world. The marshmallow incident, it would have been yes, referred indeed. to. John Humphreys, is he all that? And is there any radio station to listen to at breakfast time? That's next after the fall. Mr. Blastor and Mr. Partridge, they said to me, to get a mortgage, you need an income letter. I thought it was free. Catch us You 
upsides to the loss of Marky Smith but actually I have been introduced to a lot more fall music than I have been previously I did always really like the fall but the problem with the fall is because there are 32 studio albums uh, or something ridiculous there is so much music that it's easy to miss stuff and I came across this the other day on a playlist that a friend of mine made for me and I just really like it I, I, I love that it's swaggery and it's a bit it's a bit sort of up fire rather than low fire for the fall I think but I do I do think it's really good that was uh, the fall led by Marky Smith and Mountain Energy well, yes, because of his prolific output. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of fall songs I haven't heard at all, and until this week, that was one of them. But I'm so glad you picked it because I absolutely love it. I've played it loads of times this week now, and it's gone. Well, that's in, good. I'm pleased about that. It's gone into my all time top five fall songs. So oh, that's it's good. It's, it's from their album. It's from an album which, in true fall style, had quite a uh, <laughs> quite a difficult history. Oh. Um, it's it has it had an original working title, and it was then changed to something else. But the working title is still included on the front of the cover. It came from the same album that I think I picked Sparta FC yes, the other week. Yeah. But I picked Sparta FC number two, which was yeah. the Peel Session version. The original theme from Sparta FC, which is used as the final score theme music on BBC, mm. also came from this same album as Mountain Energy did, which is called The Real New Fall LP, brackets, <laughs> formerly Country on the Click, close brackets, because it was meant to be called Country on the Click. Um... It was released over here in 2003, and then it has a slightly different track listing on the States, and it was released there in 2004. Um, it, apparently, it was um, it was originally scheduled for, for release uh, under Country on the Click. They, re- they produced everything. They recorded it. Um, promos were sent out. Three of the new songs were previewed in the Peel session, and the release was delayed after a mix appeared on the internet, which meant Marky Smith remixed, partially re-recorded, partially re-sequenced, and renamed the album <laughs> so uh, so it was meant to be so it is a new real real full lp formerly country on the clip because marky smith never made life easy for anybody <laughs> that's very true um it's probably very unfair to judge someone based on their on-screen or on radio <laughs> yeah. persona uh, uh for example uh, uh, i am a terrible person in real life i was gonna say ourselves included
included. Um, it's perhaps possible to give a, a certain sense of one's personality on air and then be a thoroughly different person in real life. Um, having said that, John Humphreys of Radio 4's Today programme it does rather give a very strong impression of someone rather full of himself. Uh, <laughs> something of an establishment figure. He, he seems to be stuck like glue to the Today programme. At 74 years old, he gives the impression that he's easily got another 20 years of breakfast time broadcasting Quite, still yes. to come. Um, perhaps, you know, maybe we should be grateful for this. Maybe he's the perfect foil to sit opposite one of his co-hosts, Sarah Montague, Nick Robinson, Justin Webb, Michelle Hussain. Um what do you think, Jules? Do you ache for each new morning to arrive so you may hear the tenacious, some may say pugnacious, style of the highly paid John Humphreys? Well, I mean, first off, I don't think that the leaked hmm. conversation between him and John Sopel about Carrie Gracie really showed him in the best light no. recently. I think that was rather unfortunate, to say the least. Um I occasionally struggle with Dawn Humphreys on today, and the reason that I think I struggle, and actually speaking about how you can't judge people from their on-screen personas and on-air personas, there seem to be two John Humphreys. There's a John Humphreys on today, and then there is the John Humphreys that hosts Mastermind on TV, who is actually really quite nice on that, and you see people look slightly visibly relieved when they sit down, and John Humphreys goes, oh, so tell me more about this radio headband that you're interested in. And, uh, and actually, that's quite nice, and you always think, okay, quite like him why is he not on radio for he's great so um yeah i struggle a bit with john humphreys i do find him uh, the problem is is that i think like a lot of these people i think paxman included as well Mm. i think that they are very successful because they are very good when they first start out and they have a particular thing or a talent that makes them good and actually there are lots of similarities between the two i think and at first, I, when I first listened to Today, about 15 years ago, I used to quite enjoy John Humphreys. I used to look forward to him because I genuinely did look forward to him because he used to give people a really bad time. And he is, by which I mean, he would ask them questions that they could not answer. He would ask good questions that would be trying to get to the heart of the matter. This was in the year of New Labour flannel, by the way. So mm. so he was very good at cutting to the heart of the matter through that, I think, and, and asking searching questions and not soft soaping. And I think there's a lot to be said for that but i have to say i don't know what's happened i don't know if if he's just been doing it for too long i'm not sure but i do tend to find now that when i listen to john humphrey's interviews i find them to be more heat than light he really goes at people which is great but i i don't find the questioning to be that incisive sometimes so to me it sometimes feels like he's kind of you know sort of trying to hammer at a, at a door when I, when I used to do a bit of cross-examination when I was training mm. to be a lawyer even though I was a solicitor I had to go on this advocacy course as part of my compulsory training and it was one of the most fun bits of my training actually it was run by this very cheery former metropolitan police copper called Rod who'd retrained to be a barrister so he thoroughly entertained us by telling us lots of stories that would start with well you know people say ashes to ashes is a drama we watched it and thought it was a documentary so because he used to be in the Met in the 80s Sort of terrible stories about sieges that had gone wrong and stuff like that. They let off CS gas in someone's house once and it turned out they needed the one next door or something. <laughs> but but he taught us advocacy. He actually taught me all I know about advocacy pretty much. And I remember cross-examining somebody once and she wasn't 
giving me. I wasn't getting out of what I wanted to. And it wasn't because, you know, it wasn't her fault. My questioning was wrong. I wasn't right asking the right questions. Mm. And I found myself having to repeat questions. And so I started to get angry and angry. And I was bat- battering a door that wouldn't open because I was using the wrong tools to get it open. And in the end, he called me off and said, no. And I remember this very cheery West Indian girl said to me as I sat down, you were really badgering that witness, Mon. And, <laughs> uh, and I was. And actually, he pointed out that if you're not doing it right, if you find yourself having to repeat with the same questions and you're still not getting an answer, you've, it's gone wrong. You've done it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's not working. And I do tend to find nowadays that I don't find that I learn a lot from John Humphrey's interviews. I don't think that some people think, oh, he's doing it to kind of, you know, it's this machismo thing and he's doing it to sort of, you know, show off and that sort of thing. I don't really think he is. But I do wonder if he's reached a point where, you know, he's had a really good run and I wonder if, if he's he's reached the kind of peak of what he can do really. And I do I do worry sometimes that he is particularly aggressive with women rather than men. I don't know if that is true or not, but I do feel I feel for poor Yvette Cooper every time she goes on, who is a very strong media performer. And I think I got to seven interruptions over the other day before I finally gave up and turned on to something else. But I do I do tend to find that there is a fine line between Asking politicians searching questions and not letting them off the hook, which is very much something I approve of. But then if you interrupt someone every third word, how can they possibly give you an answer if you're constantly badgering them and interrupting them? So I do think that whilst at times I've found him to be very incisive, I think now it's tipping over to aggression. But I don't think he's doing that because he's a bad person. But I'm I'm not sure if he's still the right person to lead the programme in that way. I find Radio 4's Today programme, it's increasingly not for me in the morning. So I, yeah, don't, I don't think news broadcasters obsession with brexit is shared by all the listeners well no although actually i do slightly disagree with you on Mm. this i am my problem with the debate today at the moment is that its new editor is sarah sands and Mm. she's been in place former evening sound editor um i'm not going to go along the lines of oh why do we have to hear about fashion week it's women's things which Mm. i think is just absurd i did have a shout on my dad about that the other day i must admit but um but i i have a problem with the fact that there is a lot of arts coverage now and actually i have a problem with the fact that I think it is far less serious than it used to be. It's got a bit like BBC Breakfast, where anything that happens after a quarter to nine, you just think, oh no, I roll. It's all, you know, they've put all the, mm. the, the inconsequential crap at the end. And I actually don't mind the Brexit stuff so much because I was speaking to someone that, that had voted to leave mm. who said, oh, you won't notice any difference. But I think that's nonsense. And so I do get why it is awful to have to listen to Brexit every day. It is terrible. But I, I don't think it is an obsession. I think it's where we are in public life. And actually, I think it's it's the job of news programmes to reflect that because that is the impact it's going to have. Well, I, I'm not fully agreeing with you because I rather suspect that many in the country would welcome a Brexit-free zone unless there's something absolutely sensational and new to report because hours and hours on some trivial exchange of words between some minor politician and some obscure European bureaucrat... It's just mind-numbingly dull, but maybe I'm the one that's out out of step there. Maybe other people welcome that. It's just it seems to dominate every day, even when there's been no real progress. It's just some silly tiff. But I search in vain, I have to say, for a a listenable alternative. I find 
uh, five live at breakfast. It's a bit too flimsy, a bit too tabloidy. And it's, it sounds tired, rather like you were saying about the uh, Today programme on Radio 4. The presenters and the contributors, they've all been in place for a long time and sometimes mm. it feels like it. Radio 1, too noisy. Radio 2, <laughs> the presenter is too shouty. Um, mm. Local radio in London, oh, God, that could, that could be a whole section on itself. But briefly, in London, um, BBC, it's Vanessa Feltz. Oh, yes. But Radio London, and, and most BBC locals do this, they obsess about locality oh, to the exclusion of entertainment. So editorially, they, they feel they have an obligation to tell you about a burst water main in Hackney every 10 minutes. And then they, they, they're sort of desperate to get phone in, uh, sort of interaction with them. So, so are you affected by the changes in bin collection days? Call, <laughs> call us now. You know, oh, it's unlistenable. Which leaves me Radio 3, which is usually OK, unless they play something challenging at 8 o'clock in the morning, which is not very welcome. So I suppose all of it, it, it explains the ongoing proliferation and popularity of podcasts rather well, than Well, yes, live radio. absolutely. It's very true. And actually, I tend to find myself increasingly listening to podcasts on my way to work. Mm. I've bought one of those things where you can stick your, your phone on the dashboard. I don't have it, obviously, to, to mm. I just use it to, as a player. I don't use it for anything else no. whilst I'm driving, of course. Of course. But, um, but actually, I find myself listening to podcasts because, like you, the only station that I would be inclined to listen to, I do like Radio 3, actually. Mm. I'm not always in the mood of crowd music but no. i do the regular uh, breakfast presenters are petrock Chalorny and particularly clemency burton hill who i like a great deal actually and actually she plays a lot of bark which i like very much um that's okay i can deal with that like you i find radio one to be too loud mm. i i uh, um actually my my difficulties with chris evans i used to listen to chris evans a lot on the way in and i gradually became disenchanted because i'm just so sick of hearing about his wonderful life oh, frankly no. all you ever hear about are him his wife his his beautiful wife his cards his playing golf the pub that he's got you know i just find it to be really tedious it's a shame because i've read a couple of his autobiography type mm. books and i find them to be very self-aware and really good and i just find him very self congratulatory as a as a, a, a presenter and i find that tricky radio forward talks about five live i find it difficult to get a decent signal in the car and also mm. i don't I, I do like nikki campbell and rachel burden actually i wonder if i might give five a more of a go i must admit mm. our local radio is, is not good i would listen to six music if i had it in the car i would listen to it all the time but i'm not very keen on sean keaveney on radio six i i uh, I, he doesn't really work for me, and I don't really know why. Because when he's been on podcasts, he was on the Fortunately podcast mm. with Fee Glover and and uh, Jane Garvey. I didn't think him and Matt Everett on together worked very well. But him as an individual guest, he was charming, and he did very good impressions, and he was really good fun. But I I find him difficult on the radio. Although I must give a shout out to my favourite ever feature was from a Sean Keaveney breakfast show. It was even better than Honk Your Horn mm. on a Chris Evans Radio One show, where they used to make people honk their horn along to pop hits when driving along and it was eventually banned by the police because it was technically a traffic offence yeah. but um uh, sean keaveney had a feature and this featured on the fortunately podcast called expat mm -hmm. which was did are you or somebody you know used to be called pat and you're called something <laughs> different now i mean that is genius isn't it that is just phenomenally oh, good and it, exactly so occasionally you'll get a poll like that on six music so sean keaveney's not all bad and he sounds like an exceptionally nice chat when he's on things but yes like you i tend to end up moving towards different solutions different audio solutions for my journey into work Words to strike terror into the hearts of employees everywhere. 
we're having an away day with with motivational speakers. It'll be great for team building. That's next after live at the Whiskey A Go Go Los Angeles in 1966. It's Otis Redding. Magnificent it would have been to have been there that night, live at the Whiskey A Go Go, West Hollywood, Los Angeles, April the 10th, 1966, the incredible Otis Redding and respect. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Obviously, I probably on balance prefer Aretha's version, mm. but it was, of course, his originally. It, well, yes, he wrote it. And of course, yes. In my experience, there's no more striking a phrase to send employees' morale to absolute rock bottom than a memo arriving telling you that you are to attend a mandatory away day uh, to bring everyone together, all wrapped up in the cloak of team building. Well, uh, a team building day, is it, sometimes? Oh, I mean, we never used to be... We always used to have team building days at my previous firm. So wretched are the divisions in the government in terms of their individual views on the UK's withdrawal from the European Union that the Prime Minister has arranged such an away day at Chequers uh, for her cabinet. <laughs> I thought they were going paintballing. That's such a pity. <laughs> well, had she asked me, I could have advised her that it's not the way to achieve harmony. I'm a survivor of several terrible away days um, or motivational events. One of the earliest... I remember was back in 1990 at the BBC and some of us trooped in one morning to find senior management had been in over the weekend and had covered much of the Radio 4 area with posters, wall coverings, mugs, pens, floor stickers even that oh just said 
mad mad and um, this by the way was when john burt was deputy director general and it was believed to have been all his big idea oh yeah mr blue sky thinking exactly so and we were all supposed to go wow you know this is really wacky how amusing and amazing and i wonder what this very humorous idea is all about um when in fact everyone just sort of groaned and tore down the posters and binned the motivational pens um we all had to troop into some meeting room where i in my memory, and my memory may be failing me, but I seem to remember John Burt uh, introduced <laughs> the whole thing. And we were told that MAD MAD, uh, MAD stood for Make a Difference. And oh, man. that over the coming week, we were all going to take part in exciting and fun activities where we could all learn how we could make our very own difference at making the BBC better. And right. <laughs> of course, it was an abject disaster. Nobody enjoyed one second of it other than the highly paid consultants who were commissioned to run it. And a week or two later, the whole MAD thing was consigned to ignoble history. Now, motivational days, uh, Jules, they always end up demotivating and usually at enormous cost. Well, yes, indeed. And also, don't forget you are taking a day out of work, which doesn't well, always necessarily no. stop. Mm. I went on a team-building day. I went on holiday. Um, I think it was the last. It was the year before last, I think. Mm. I was on holiday. I came back. My first day back from my holiday for two weeks away when I was feeling completely out of it and needing to understand what was happening with work. And you yeah. know, be, be, you know, No, I was due on our team-building day that the property oh. department had to go on. Um, to be fair, they had tried to pick something that they thought we would enjoy there was uh, there was a large lunch at a pub which was excellent actually that was very good and we very much enjoyed that and actually i did like everyone on my team so mm. it was it that bit of it was very nice indeed but before that we had an activity so we went on a segway so you know segway yeah segways, yeah we went on a segway tour of heaver castle so <laughs> which, was, which was obviously you know <laughs> quite fun i did quite enjoy it but of course because we were all quite busy with our caseloads and i I was trying to get back into what was going on. I, I was uh, try, people were trying to have conversations on mobile phones whilst on segways, which was quite. I, I, I've got so, a picture of um, someone dressed as Anne Boleyn on a segway. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> on a mobile phone. Yeah, going, yeah. yeah, if you fax it to Steve, then he can oh. email it on to Paul. I was having these kind of conversations. Go, have you sent your contract back? I'll just speak to Lynn and she'll check my post whilst I was going up a hill on a segway. So, <laughs> so yes, uh, the problem with that was actually it would have been quite enjoyable had life allowed it to be but unfortunately the pressures of our jobs was such and maybe maybe that shows the problem and the need for it really that that we had we didn't have the time to sort of do that there was a, a moment a few minutes in the pub where i found it difficult to find someone to talk to because everyone was doing emails on mobile phones and actually if we just had a day where everyone had put their phones away and just had a day together i actually think it could have been quite strengthening i don't think I don't think all team building days are necessarily bad because actually whenever I've gone on social things with people from work, so whenever we have leaving dues or occasionally we go out for someone's birthday or we went out on a Christmas meal, mm. it was actually really nice to see people away mm. from our desks and we got on better and actually that meant that we work we work better together. So actually I think there's a lot to be said for sort of team building quote unquote days and things like that. But I, I, 
I think spending time outside of work can sometimes be hugely sort of strengthening because it's nice to see people in a different context. But there are ways to do that and ways not to do that. And I think if we'd all left our mobile phones in a box at the start of the Segway <laughs> tour, that probably would have made life a bit easier. It was very scenic and the Segway people were very good. Although it did seem to be a license to print money, I must admit. It's obviously the new ice cream van things. It was quite expensive for not very long on a Segway. Um, you can only go at, at I, I, I don't know, I think you can go, someone told me you could go faster than a milk float, than, but slower than an invalid carriage, I think, or something. But anyway, it was, it was quite good. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm not anti-outside-of-work exercises that everyone that sort of gets on better and knows each other better, but I am anti-corporate jargon, and I think sticking mad stickers all over the ceiling and floor wouldn't necessarily motivate me a great deal. Maybe about five years ago I went to the very last one of these motivational days that I've ever attended. <laughs> I'm glad they fi- well they, they haven't finished I'm glad you no longer have to suffer them. Oh it, it tipped me over the edge I mean it, as it's quite recent I won't give the precise location or name the organization but it involved a motivational speech by a fellow who is quite well known in London on local radio funnily enough right. after our last subject and um, it, it was of course intended to inspire and galvanize his speech but despite being a well-known voice on the radio in london this bloke spoke only in cliches and all the people on my table we, we all started playing a game to see how many spelling mistakes we could find on his powerpoint slides and that there were so many of them i remember the most particular one that i noticed which i thought was on the verge of being unforgivable was that he had his name and then it said um the radio station which he came from and the word london and he'd spelt london l-o-n-n-d-o-n and uh, this was in and amongst uh, the 20 year old clip art pictures uh, that he had on his slides to illustrate you know, his hopeless narrative. It's, it's amazing how senior managers still think that listening to some Egypt who, who flashes a few slides will com- completely change the, you know, the dying morale of, of their employees. It's, it's no, it's, it's, it's no, not, not ideal, really. Now, whenever we hear. You speak, of course, Jules. We're instantly <laughs> revitalised. And motivated, And yes. motivated. Where <laughs> might you be motivating us this week? Uh, uh, that's me, the Mr Motivator mm. of the of the South Coast. Um, I am not... I don't have any live pinches this week, although depending upon when we record this, mm. it might have happened next week. I'm I'm DJing at the Printworks in Hastings with my modern, nice, not-rubbish evening. Oh. Um, I'll be doing that um, Friday the 23rd of February oh. from 9 until 1am. So, so that's an advanced training of that. No Saturday social this week, but I will be back with Indie Wonderland next Wednesday from 8 until 10pm on barricaderadio.com. Thanks to you for listening. And yes, deep, deep thanks. Thank you. Thanks to our peerless executive producer, Rona. Very much so. In a digital age, this just doesn't happen now, but I remember that several radio stations had got hold of an advanced copy of our closing track today mm. and played it constantly. And I remember that I kept going into the record shop in Weybridge and they kept telling me, it's still not released yet. And such was the impact that this extraordinary debut single had. I wasn't in lo- alone in being mesmerised by her jewels.
Absolutely. I mean, she really did change everything. And I think we might have spoken about this before, but I don't think it would happen now. Would a major label now sign an artist and then spend a year with them in development before releasing any singles? It just, it seems... Unprecedented, yes. Absolutely. And she was so young as well. Um, The reason why I'm playing this is, and I mentioned it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, when I went up to Manchester, I did see the actress Maxine Peake having a turn doing some DJing. And she played a very interesting selection of records. And she played this at one point and one of the, the the fun things about being a dj that also likes music is that of course if you're trying to do a sort of a live dj set i'm always i do find myself playing the same songs quite a lot of the time but i'm always on the hunt for new ideas and things that might work and she played this and of course it became a whole room of people twirling around mm. and accidentally hitting each other and um, i think it was barb Redding wrote an excellent piece in the guardian recently on about the 40th anniversary of this record basically saying that in a weird way, it taught a generation of, of, of women how to dance and how to do their own thing and how to sort of interpretive dance and how it is all right just to flail around because if that's what you feel like doing, then why not? And I did enjoy this, and I think I might pinch this for an end of a set at some point. I think this would be a nice kind of finish. Um, very much enjoyed the caterwauling to this as well. She did put the vocal down at one point so that everybody could have a good old shout. Uh, this is Kate Bush, and this is the Peerless Wuthering Heights.
You have been listening to a DAC Media production.